Well, good morning. Seems to me like it's the hottest day of the year, but that might just be on the inside, not to the outside. Well, this morning I'm going to speak on temptation. Couldn't resist. But with all seriousness, um, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke in a few moments. But first of all, please turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. Two really important verses that we're going to start with this morning. So these verses, uh, 15 and 16, say, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. This is a big verse to wrestle with. And as someone once said, I'm not worried about the parts of the Bible that I don't understand. I'm worried about the parts of the Bible that I do understand. What are we going to love? Is it going to be what the world tells us to, or is it going to be what God tells us to? Because these verses say that we can't do both. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are to be avoided. In fact, verse 15 starts by saying, love not the world. It's not a suggestion. That's an instruction. So friends, love not the world. I have a question for you. Who wants to sin? Expecting we're not going to get a show of hands, but it's a question that none of us really want to say, I do. Yet, isn't it the case that in the moment we actually do want to sin? That's a problem. That's the problem. Proverbs 9.17 says, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You see, sin is attractive to us. We want to do it, and we can enjoy it in the moment. We can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it honouring to God, and it doesn't stop it from hurting others. Now, it's no excuse, but you're not alone in this. It's not limited to those of us that are here this morning. In fact, we read the Apostle Paul write that he struggled We read in Romans chapter 7, he says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. See, it's like we have a traitor on the inside. That when we would do good, we don't. And when we don't want to sin... The struggle is very real. And Paul continues, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he gives us the best answer of all. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. J. Vernon McGee, uh, who's a faithful preacher in the southern states in America, uh, he said, I cannot face the temptations of this world in my own strength. And this is where we have good news. Because Paul asks, who will deliver us? The answer is Jesus. 
No one else can, and no one else needs to if we turn to him. Now, Jesus has saved us from the penalty of our sin. That's already done once and for all. But how do you and I, today and tomorrow, and through our lives, avoid sinning more? We know this side of eternity, as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. There should be a change in our lives. God will work in us. He will sanctify us. He will make us more like him to the point that we do sin less. Well, we have Jesus' example and his words to help us. More than that, we have a relationship with him. We can go to God when we need help. You see, Jesus understands temptation. He understands trials. He knows what it is to be face-to-face with the devil and to be tempted by him, yet not sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read this, which is incredibly comforting, that says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we can go to our Heavenly Father for help. However, I do not think that that suggests that we should wait until we're in a difficult spot faced with temptation before we do something. No, rather I believe that Jesus has given us his example and his word. In fact, it's in his word that we have his example. Now, Charles Spurgeon was someone known for being very direct, and I appreciate that. He said this about our need to actually read the Bible. He said, you may take it as a rule that the Spirit of God does not usually do for us what we can do for ourselves. And that if religious knowledge is printed in a book and we can read it, there is no necessity for the Holy Ghost to make a fresh revelation of it to us in order to screen our laziness. In other words, we have God's word. He has given it to us for a purpose. It's not so that it can look good on our shelves. It's not so that we can bring it out when we have a home fellowship group or we can carry it to church. It's there for us to read. It is our daily bread, not uh, cake for special occasions, as I heard someone once say. You know, last night I was thinking about this, and I thought, I wonder how many of us have access to more copies of the Bible than times we've actually read the whole Bible. You see, we have so many copies of the Bible, maybe on our mobile phones, or we have access to them on the internet, or we have multiple copies in our houses. But wouldn't it be a sobering thought if Actually, we have more copies than time to have read them. So let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about Jesus experiencing temptation and see what we can learn from that. Probably the most famous temptation that Jesus endured is that which he endured in the wilderness. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning. But first, I want to share an inspirational Bible verse with you. Which says, if you therefore will worship me, all shall be yours. Now that's less inspirational when you realize who said it. Because that's something that Satan says in trying to tempt Jesus. 
And I make this point because context is important. If you take the text out of context, all you have left is a con. So first, let's consider where this event takes place in Jesus' ministry in terms of timeline or, or chronology. Then we'll read the passage in its entirety, so we have the context. And finally, we'll look through it together and consider how what it says applies to us. And I encourage you right now to to start thinking of how to apply this to your life as we go through this this morning. And indeed, that should be the same for any Bible study. It's certainly the duty of whoever's teaching to read and explain the Bible faithfully. But while I or they can show how to apply it to your life, we can't do the final part of actually applying to your life. Anytime that we receive teaching, it's our responsibility to actually apply it, to, to put that in motion. So first of all, chronology. Where does this sit in the timeline of Jesus' life on earth? Well, Jesus is baptized by John, following which we see that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And it's then that Jesus returns from Jordan and is immediately led into the wilderness. There he fasts for 40 days, faces temptation from the devil, returns to Galilee, and it's after that that he calls his disciples. Now I think there's a few important things that we should notice there, but next, let's read the passage before we study it. So if you would, let's turn to Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1, read the first 13 verses together. So the account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is also in Matthew chapter 4, and it's also noted uh, in Mark chapter 1, but I'm going to be reading from Luke uh, this morning. So Luke chapter 4, and we read, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. When they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give you, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If ye therefore will worship me, all shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get you behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If ye be the Son of God, cast yourself down from hence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So, what's actually going on here? What is it that we can learn from this? Well, let's start back the first two verses of this chapter and we'll work our way through. Now, 
we read here, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Now the first thing that we should notice is that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. That's important for us to notice. We need to be filled with the Spirit too. You cannot face the temptations of this world in your own strength. We read earlier in Romans 7.21 that I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Haven't you noticed that to be true? In Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, Paul continues and says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And he concludes later in Galatians 5.16 by saying, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives if we are to stand and not fall, to withstand temptation. Now the next thing here, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, so God led him there. Did the Spirit lead him there to be tempted? No. John Corson, in his commentary on this chapter, says this, Regarding the entire arena of trials and temptations, understand this. God will allow a trial. Satan will come with a temptation. The trial may be financial. The temptation may be to escape pressure through cocaine. It is not God who brings the cocaine your way. It is not God who tempts you with pornography. No, God simply allows the trial to come. It is Satan that brings the temptation. Never ever be mistaken on this point. The trial of our faith is to prove the faithfulness of God. It is never a temptation or an enticement to sin. Therefore, if you are half drunk in a bar, a guy starts offering you free drugs, it is not God's way of saying, I'm going to prove how faithful I am by sending this guy your way. No, that is a temptation that's brought on yourself by placing yourself in that situation in the first place that very clearly so temptation is not of the Lord so why was Jesus tested here well from the devil's perspective he knew that if Jesus sinned once then he would not be perfect he would not be sinless therefore we could not have a saviour in him we would have no hope but I have a different question that I want us to think about why are these temptations recorded this is where the understanding of the the timeline of the chronology is important. Jesus is on his own in the wilderness. In fact, he hasn't even called his disciples at this point. And that means that he felt it important enough to share these events with his disciples later on. So if it's important to share with them, it's important for us to take note of as well. Now also note that it says here that Jesus was 40 days tempting the devil. I don't believe it took 40 days for the devil to tempt him in these three ways. Rather, it appears that Jesus was tempted for 40 days, but at the end of the 40 days, Satan tempts with these three specific things. And we'll come back to that. 
But first, I'd just like to clarify what temptation and fasting are and why there is significance in the order here. Temptation simply is to entice or incite someone to evil. So, I don't think Jesus is all that concerned whether we have a cookie or not. That's not the kind of temptation that we're dealing with. Like, oh, I'm tempted to have that extra piece of food. But if we're giving into temptation of stealing, of cheating, of lying or murdering, that's more an issue in our heart than it is with our appetite. And it's our heart that Jesus is interested in. Fasting, which we see Jesus do here, is the voluntary giving up of something, and, and typically food. You know, we use the same word if you ever have a blood test, uh, and it's a fasting blood test. That usually means you can't eat for 12 hours before a blood sample is taken. In this case, Jesus fasted 40 days. Now, that might be a tough concept for us. Some of us might struggle four hours without food, let alone 40 days without food. But there are four people in the Bible recorded as doing this. Moses, Joshua, Elijah, and Jesus. And the purpose in biblical fasting is that instead of eating, we're using that time to draw close to God. That every moment we're feeling hungry or we're thinking about food, that we're coming before the Lord in prayer to seek his will for our lives, his direction, and what he would say to us. To draw close to him. So, as we look at these verses, it might seem an understatement to us, given 40 days of fasting, that at the end of this time of fasting, it says Jesus was hungry. Just hungry? Well, yes, that's exactly what he was. Hunger, when you have a long-term fast, actually leaves off after several days and returns in a long fast after either around 40 days or once all the toxic poisons in your body have been expelled from it. However, at the point of hunger returning, it's because the body is starting to eat away at itself. So your body is getting weaker. So understand this, what with temptation and fasting... Here, Satan is wanting to incite or entice to evil. And he's doing it at a point where Jesus is physically. And that's key. Perhaps this is the weakest point that Jesus is at. And that's one way that the devil knows he might be most successful with us. It's warfare. And the devil doesn't play fair. He knows... Or rather, he doesn't know your thoughts, but he can see how you react. He can see what you react to. He knows how to get you in an argument, whether that be on the motorway or in the home. He can tell when you're at your weakest point. So note that. Satan will try and take advantage of any weakness we have. Now, as promised, let's come back to the question of why are these specific temptations recorded? Clearly, Jesus felt these three things were important to share with his disciples, not only for them, but for them to write down that we may have his word, that we can consider these things. So why these three? Well, I believe that they show the strategy of the devil. This was Satan tempting Jesus at his weakness. And he knew the stakes. If Jesus sinned, God had sinned and we could not be saved. He was going to give this his best shot, but his best shot didn't work. So listen up, because Jesus shows us here how you and I can avoid giving in to temptation. 
reading John Corson's commentary, I'm grateful for something else he pointed out, is how this correlates with the first letter that John writes, uh, which we read a couple of verses from earlier. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And in verse 16 we read, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. It's those three things that Satan attempts to tempt Jesus with this moment. So, in other words, you know, Satan has these temptations he wants to throw. It's his way of doing things. It's his strategy. And he'll try doing this over and over again. Very similar to the exact temptation that we read in Genesis 3. But let's look at what the devil is really trying to do here. We read in verse 3 of Luke 4, And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it may, or that it be made bread. So what is Satan trying to do here? Well, Satan is appealing to a sense of entitlement and practical need. First of all, if you be the Son of God, you, know, you deserve this, Jesus. You are entitled to this. Often do we hear similar messages. You deserve this. And then he says, command this stone that it be made bread. See, he's tempting with the physical, with something that's actually possible. Think of what you need, is what he's saying. He's appealing to the flesh, and he'll do the same in tempting you. Don't you deserve this? You're a good person. You deserve some fun, some pleasure. This is good for you. It's your right. It's the oldest trick in the book. He wants you to doubt what God has said to do that which God says we shouldn't do, just like in the Garden of Eden. You know, we're often told today that we have rights. But Jesus laid down his rights. So the question to us is, will we lay down ours? Will you be content with what you have? You know, sin often comes from a lack of contentment. One of the best examples of this is Solomon. He had everything, but then went into excess. 400, sorry, 300 wives, uh, 700 concubines. You know, he let his life go off the rails. He turned from following God with his whole heart. And we read in scripture that having food and drink, be content with such things as you have. So what is it that Jesus does in response? Well, this is Jesus. He is the God who created the world. He could have done anything at this point. I don't say this in a flippant sense, but just to get us to think what he could have done. He could have turned the entire desert into a bakery had he wanted to. He could have turned to Satan and said, I'll turn you into bread. But, despite being able to have done anything to Satan, being that Satan is merely, say merely, a created being, rather, Jesus showed us something critical in how to respond to temptation that you and I can learn from. And he says, and Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It is written. Jesus quotes the Bible. Specifically, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Jesus doesn't think, should do a prayer walk. He doesn't 
suggests that that's the moment to talk in tongues or to start singing worship songs because the devil's going to be then fingers in his ears, oh, I don't want to hear this. No, he quotes scripture back at him. It's the word of God. It is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And that's what Jesus uses. And there's no reply that Satan can bring to this. He doesn't try to continue with this temptation. Rather, he switches to his next tactic. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give you, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If you therefore will worship me, all shall be yours. So what is Satan trying to do here? Well, this next tactic is him offering Jesus a shortcut to what he's going to legitimately get anyway. You know, Jesus is going to rule. Everyone will bow before him. What Satan is trying to do is offer him a shortcut to that, bypassing the agony. You know, this is so similar to how Satan tempts us because it's the same strategy. It's you can have what you want and you can have it now. An easier, a quicker route. You don't have to wait to get married to have sex. Have it now. You don't have to wait to earn money. Take it from somewhere. You don't have to wait for justice to be served. Serve it yourself. You know, our instant culture isn't really helping us with this. Instant coffee, instant cameras, instant messaging. We have on-demand streaming of music and films, microwave meals, delivery. You know, if you can now, or rather if you can't get delivery from your local takeaway, they'll bring it to you. You can order your McDonald's before you even get in the store. We can have smart homes when we can walk in with the kettle already boiled, the lights already on, and the music already on. Amazon are trialing even faster delivery. You now can get some items delivered in some areas within one hour. Because I guess a stapler is that urgent. But you know, this instant culture doesn't help. And our careers now work so differently. You know, once people stayed in a job for a long time, but now we change when we feel like it. Now, it's not that all these things are all wrong, but what's the lesson that we take from it? It's that we can have what we want when we want it. We can have it now. And Satan will tempt us with the same when it comes to sin. But we've got to consider the consequence. I love C.S. Lewis's description of prudence. Uh, he says, prudence means practical common sense. Thinking of what the likely outcome is of a choice if you follow it through to its natural conclusion. Levi Lusko's book, Swipe Right, um, where he is particularly focusing on relationships, makes a great point that we can apply to many situations in our lives. Because he says, when we fail, when we fall into sin, it's often because we prioritize the instant over the eternal, or even the long term. And the example he gives is Jacob and Esau. You know, Esau has the birthright. But he's so hungry in that moment that he's got to have the food there and then and he gives up his birthright. In an instant, he trades what would have been handed down to all of his children 
for a bowl of soup. So what is it here that Jesus does in response to this strategy of the devil? Well, we read, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get you behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, he responds with the word, with the Bible. What he quotes is important too. But Jesus knows that worship and serving God alone is the best thing for us. It's okay to desire good things, but even a good thing can become an idol. We put sex or money or power as an idol far too often. It's not that those things are inherently bad, but we can make them bad when we put them ahead of the Lord. Money, this often gets misquoted. Money is not the root of all evil. Love of money is the root of all evil. It's when we get things in the wrong order. As has been well said, money can be a great servant, but a cruel master. A.W. Tozer says, God knows us better than we know ourselves, and he knows exactly what we need and when we need it. So trust God and worship him alone. If Satan has no response to this scripture either, so he tries his third tactic. And we read in verse 9, And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If you be the Son of God, cast down yourself or cast yourself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give you his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. So what is Satan trying to do? Well, in short, he's saying, God's okay with it. You can live how you want. God will look after you. We're told, aren't we, some, that God loves you just the way you are. Well, unfortunately, this is the modern message. Smile. Jesus loves you just the way you are. There's no need to change. And he's cool with your sin. Do whatever feels good so long as you don't hurt anyone. After all, all you need is love. We need to be relevant, and the Bible is written for a different time and a different culture. No, no, no. He loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And the Bible was written exactly for a culture like this. We've only got to look at the letters to the Corinthian church to understand that. Some of the things that happen there might even make us blush as a society. What Satan is trying to entice Jesus with here is the pride that we can do whatever we want and that God is okay with it. I was listening to Joe Foch teach on this passage and he made an interesting point that he sees most Christians give their hearts to the Lord whilst they're young. It's rarer the older someone gets because the older we get, and I think we can all appreciate this, the more stubborn we get. That's the way we've done things our whole lives. Why change now? But let's also note that Satan here can quote scripture. However, when he does, he does so out of context or omitting key information. And John Corson notes that Satan here is quoting Psalm 91 verse 11, which actually says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. That is in all God's ways. Jesus knew this and answered accordingly. So what is it? that Jesus does in response. 
Again, we read, and Jesus answering him said unto him, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, Jesus quotes scripture, specifically Deuteronomy 6.16. He uses the Bible, which I mentioned this verse earlier, but Paul describes it as living, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus uses it accurately. Again, the devil has no response to this. The devil has given his best shot and he's failed. So, does he ever tempt Jesus again? Let's read on. In verse 13, we read, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Wouldn't it be great if at the end of this the devil blew up or fell down dead or promised to never return? But instead we read that he departed for a season or as some versions say, for an opportune time. Was that a specific moment? Was it many moments that he would tempt Jesus again through his life on earth? I doubt Satan gave up easily and I don't believe that he will give up easily with you and I. So where does this leave us? What do we take away from this? Temptation will come. You will be tempted. You will be tested. I know it's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to yield to temptation. So how will you do? How are you doing? You know, each of you may struggle with different things. We're not to assume everyone struggles in the same way. Or that someone struggles at all in an area that we do. But we all need to love, encourage and support each other in this. You know, out of all the great vices that mankind is tempted with, gambling is one that just doesn't appeal to me. Maybe supporting Cholton meant I never had confidence in the team I wanted to win actually winning. But it just doesn't appeal to me. But others do struggle massively in that area. Am I tempted by other sin? Yes. So where does temptation start for each of us? Well, maybe we can sit here and we can blame Satan for it all. Does he tempt? Oh yeah, he does. He's the father of lies, including that the grass will be greener. But we have full responsibility for our own sin. In James chapter 1 we read, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. We are drawn into sin through our own lusts. Now again, I don't believe that Satan knows our thoughts, but he sure knows our weaknesses. Hey, even you and I will be able to spot some of each other's weaknesses, right? But Satan is really interested in them. And that's why we read 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, and walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in We also need to realize that Satan is subtle. 
One time he's a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's his intent. But he can also be an angel of light. He even comes to us dressed like a Christian. But you see here, we are told to resist. We read in James 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, what a promise, and he will flee from you. And the key in this is submitting to God, knowing his will and following that, not our own desires. Rather we can pray that God would give us the desires of our heart, not in the sense that we would get a Ferrari, but rather that we would... Let God give us the desires for him and for the things that he wants. Put those things on our heart. But how do we practically resist temptation? Well, there's three things about temptation that I'd like you to consider. They are to expect it, to be prepared for it, and to act wisely when it happens. So to expect it. Temptation will come. Don't go looking for it. It will come. Don't put yourself in a situation where you know you are likely to compromise. Remember that we are at war. You know that Satan is our enemy and he'll play dirty. He'll hit you at your weakest point. He'll even quote scripture to you. And Satan will make sin seem reasonable. Remember those strategies that he tried with Jesus. About entitlement about a shortcut to something that you deserve, about permission, that God's okay with But know who Satan is. He is defeated. He lies. Say it's good for you. Have it now and God's okay with it. But, even more importantly, know who Jesus is. Jesus has been tempted, yet without sin. He will support you lift you up. So be prepared. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the first thing that we read in this passage. Jesus was filled with the Spirit before he went into the wilderness. We need to be too. Second thing, know your Bible. We read, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That was David's heart. That was his intent. Your word have I hid in my heart might not sin against you. You know, the Bible isn't something that should just sit on our shelves. It's something that should be in our hearts. And we need to read it for that to happen. Also, in terms of preparation, pray in advance. You know, don't just wait till the moment of temptation. You know, if there's something that you know is a difficult area for you, pray. Pray when you wake up or when you leave the house or when you're driving to work. You know, or when you know you'll be confronted with an opportunity to compromise and give in to temptation, pray ahead of that time. Now I'd add this. Be accountable to each other. Ultimately, we should consider that God sees all that we do. I was thinking of one phrase I'd heard this morning uh, whilst Peter uh, was sharing a verse before the service. You know, don't be worried about what people know, or, sorry, what people think, worried about what God knows. That's it. But human accountability is good too. You know, a prayer partner is a great idea. But even better, you know, take up to three or four people, a prayer triangle, a prayer square, 
you know, meet with others to prayer. People that you can share with in confidence. Hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. Pray for me. Help me with it. And be that person who someone else can share with you in confidence that you can be praying for them. Definitely encourage you to have multiple people that can hold you accountable because it's really important and it's really helpful. So then the third thing, act wisely. You know, having expected temptation and prepared for it, when we're faced with temptation, we need to act wisely. You know, sin occurs when temptation, when temptation and opportunity conceive. Now that's where sin is born. You know, we're not really tempted to do something when there isn't the opportunity to do it. Sometimes when there's the opportunity to do it, that's the moment that we're tempted. Those things go together and when they conceive, that's when we see sin in our lives. Proverbs 6.27 effectively says, Can you build a fire on your lap and not be burnt? The answer, in case you're not sure, is no. We can't mess with sin. I remember who said, but very wise comment, just saying you know, that we shouldn't trifle with anything that caused Jesus to have to go to the cross for us. We shouldn't mess with sin. So when temptation arises, get as far away from it as you can, and that's really the next point. Run away. Flee temptation. You know, one of our best examples of that is Joseph, where he is in a position where Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. He could have given in to sexual sin at that moment. But he ran, knowing it could cost him, and it cost him dearly. And we know that the Lord very gracious to him, and we know the story of how that worked out, that he became the second in command of all of Egypt. But he went to prison for that, for doing the right thing. But he honoured God in doing so, and God honoured him. So flee temptation. The reality is, if he'd given into temptation, it would have been far worse for him. And lastly, this is no small thing. Call on the Lord. We read earlier that we can go to the throne of grace in time of need. When you are struggling, when you're in that situation, you're like, I feel so tempted to do something. Flee, but pray. Ask the Lord to help you in that. Lord, help me get out of this situation. Help me to push these thoughts away, Lord, take these thoughts away from me. Let me think on you, on your word. Get back to the Bible. Again, temptation is going to happen. We're going to face it. So, again, these three things. Expect it, be prepared for it, wisely when faced with it. Lord, we thank you so much for your word to us. Lord, your example. The Lord, there's nothing really in life that we could ever truly worry about when we realize that you have our best interest at heart and you've shown us how we should act. Lord, it can be hard sometimes to do the right thing. Lord, often that's because we're not following you as closely as we should. So Lord, we pray that we would walk ever closer to you. The Lord, we would not be That Although at times, inevitably, we will be weak in our physical frame and that we'll inevitably end up in challenging situations. Lord, may we not have a weak relationship with you. But Lord, may we 
take you up on your promise that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And we pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. The Lord, we would listen to the prompting of the Spirit. He says, stop. Don't do that. The Lord, we would know your words. That we would know what is right and what is wrong. That we would know what you expect of us. And Lord, help us to be willing to flee. To run from evil. Run to you. Lord, you know our hearts. And we pray that you would challenge and convict us in anything in our life that is not right. Where we are sorely tempted. Lord, even given in to that temptation. Lord, you would work in our hearts, turn them to you, convict us of our sin. Lord, we pray, make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thank you, Sam. You know, at the beginning of this year, I shared that I really felt the, the theme the Lord was giving us for the year was holiness. And, you know, there's the scripture in, in Hebrews that says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that, that can be understood in one of two ways. It can either be that without holiness, other people will not see the Lord that we speak to, that we witness to. They won't see the Lord in us. But it's also that we'll not see the Lord. And holiness is so important. And temptation is such a barrier for us getting right with God. You know, just one verse to, to leave you with from Hebrews Hebrews 25, chapter 7, verse 25, she says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, to come unto God by him. You know, he is a high priest. I mean, Sarah's song was singing about this great high priest. What Simmer said, Jesus is there to deliver us from the, the temptations, the besetting sins. And, you know, every one of us this morning have got what often is referred to as a besetting sin, something we struggle with. What a great, timely message for us as a fellowship. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Okay, uh, let's uh, enjoy some fellowship together over some teas and coffee, shall we?